My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends, I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain you, but to educate and teach. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Talk about a market that has no memory. Yesterday, it plummeted, ostensibly because we've lost control of COVID-19. Today, it roared higher. Buy, 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 buy. With the Dow poll voting 400 points, S&P gaining 1.36%, NASDAQ advancing 1.02%, left by the companies that stand to benefit the most from the end of the pandemic. Hospitality, travel, and leisure. Has the market lost its mind? No, we're dealing with cross currents. Anytime stocks get hammered, it seems to trigger a visceral vaccine reaction where good news bails us out. On the one hand, we know the cavalry is indeed coming, and it's going to be in the form at least of one Pfizer's vaccine. On the other hand, it won't reach us in quantity, perhaps until the spring. And in the meantime, the virus is out of control in the country. We had 163,000 new cases yesterday. We're in for a rough winter, yet in the last 24 hours, we've gotten some sharply better than expected results. Earnings from Cisco, the networking titan, from Applied Materials, the top semiconductor equipment maker, from Walt Disney, which needs no introduction. On top of that, it's looking increasingly like we'll have a smooth transition from the Trump administration to the Biden administration, albeit not a particularly gracious one. That's a huge change, though, from even last week at this time, because it took off the notion, it took off the table the notion of Trump refusing to make plans to vacate the White House. Now, I'm sure you're sick of hearing it, but the market loves certainty, and there's nothing less certain than a contested election. Could the good earnings continue? If you're more worried about the virus than encouraged by the vaccine, next week will be pivotal for you, because we hear from some major national retailers, and I think they'll have a surprisingly positive story to tell. So Monday starts off with something a little different. Uh, the results from Palo Alto Networks, okay? That's that giant cybersecurity company. CEO Nikesh Arora has put together a terrific set of assets for an economy where millions of people are staying or stuck at home working. I expect very strong numbers. Then we hear from one of the most controversial names in the entire S&P 500. We hear from Tyson Foods. The meat processor had a major COVID problem that now seems to be behind them, thank heavens. But the stock is stalled here. I used to believe that Tyson's stock would benefit from improved relations with China because they need American pork. But now I feel like nothing will help Tyson aside from sharply better than expected earnings. And, and they haven't been able to deliver on that for a long time. Could this time be different? If they do, I've got to tell you, the $62 stock is going to go up a great deal. Tuesday's gigantic. Walmart, Home Depot, Kohl's. I bet Walmart's going to dazzle. It, it's where you go to get anything in a pandemic that, for whatever reason, you don't want to get from Amazon. My travel trust, which you can follow along by joining the ActionLearnsPlus.com club, has been buying the stock aggressively. Home Depot is the best do-it-yourself renovation play at a time when people are busy turning their, their homes into offices or schools. Both should report spectacular earnings. Anything less than spectacular, though, and these stocks will get hurt. Kohl's is a lot more problematic. Stock's been showing some signs of life lately. The quarter is very important to the broader market because Kohl's is not an essential retailer, which makes it a good gauge of whether consumers are willing to venture out for non-essentials. After the close, we hear from NIO. Oh, Neo. Oh, my. Uh, the Chinese Tesla. 
right? That's what they call it. Stock that's up 1,200% in the last six months. Yeah, you heard me right. This electric vehicle maker has become the bell of the ball, even as it pulled back today when a big-name short seller came after it. The thing is, Neo's still losing tons of money. Then again, until pretty recently, so did Tesla. I think people will keep buying this stock as, as Neo continues to ramp production because if it is the next Tesla, that means you don't need to care about the short term. For the moment, it's more of a concept than a company. Long term, though, they have to deliver. If anyone says, Jim told me to buy Neo at 47 and I got hurt, you just didn't listen to what I have to say. Wednesday, things get confusing because some of these stocks will have already reacted to the companies that report on Tuesday. So, in other words, this one, this one. If these are X, then these will be 2X. We get results from Target, which has become America's favorite fund store to go with, again, with a terrific e-commerce kicker, by the way, shipped. But the expectations have gotten incredibly high and will even get higher if Walmart's good. Okay, that makes it hard to beat. Then there's Lowe's, where CEO Marvin Ellison is doing his best to turn around the operation. Still has some issues, although it's being buoyed by the pandemic. COVID has caused an exodus from the cities to the suburbs in the country, because if you're going to be stuck at home, well, you might as well have some outdoor space. Even if Lowe's were poorly run, it would be a great moment for them, but it's not. And Ellison's striving for excellence to be the best of the best. Lowe's isn't quite there yet, but the numbers should be so strong that you won't even notice. How about TGX? Hmm, parent of TJ Maxx, Marshalls. We sold this off-price chain for my travel trust, mostly sold it here to buy that one. Why did we do this? Well, it's simple. Um, We wanted to take advantage of the rally this week, take some profits. Why? Well, because COVID could be a great long-term opportunity for these guys. TJX buys up excess inventory from struggling retailers. But short-term, I don't see them bringing in many customers because they don't carry anything you can't live without. And that's a recipe for perhaps disappointing quarters. So some of we took a loss on, but most of them took a gain. Now, okay, here's, here's one that I'm closely linked with, and I'm proud of being linked with. It's NVIDIA. NVIDIA reports after the close, and I, for one, am glad this stock's been coming down this week because that makes it easier for the stock to blast off in response to a fantastic quarter, which is exactly what I expect. Now, NVIDIA's trying to buy ARM Holdings. It's a deal that would make this company the undisputed king of the seventh largest space. They might get some pushback from the regulators, but in the end, I think the deal will be allowed to go through. That said, I think it puts a lid on the stock. And just so everybody understands, this is the kind of stock that's being sold here as people circle back into companies that do better if the economy opens. Just be aware, there's nothing wrong with NVIDIA. There's just some people don't like the valuation of the stock. Thursday, we hear from Macy's, which has been bouncing between six and eight for months. Can it finally break out? I don't know. A lot of it depends on tourism. Uh, because of the flagship store, Herald Square. Now, anything that's levered to the New York tourism scene is, is, is in trouble. So I don't know if we're going to get a breakout here. The company's done a lot to turn itself around. Uh, but uh, Jeff Gens doing a good job. But you know what? In this environment, it may not work. Workday reports after the close. Now we're back and, you know, you've got, you know, you have tech, you have tech, and you have tech. Okay. Now, Workday is the cloud computing company that does so much to automate a lot of back office stuff. And now, these have been ordinarily terrible, terrific, terrible, terrific. It's awfully hard to know which way it'll be that day that Workday reports. And this is one of the toughest to gauge. Why? Because the software that they use to, uh, to automate human resources and finance is a little opaque for most Americans to understand the stock. Companies winning contract after contract, but people don't understand it. I think it's a really well-run company. Friday, we get a read on the mall thanks to Foot Locker. Like that. Uh, these mall retailers have mostly been written off for dead. And, uh, some of them are actually not so bad, though. Could Foot Locker, uh, could they post a good quarter? If only because we know that Nike and Under Armour are moving a ton of merchandise? It's possible. You know what, though? Nike sells a lot direct to consumer. I'd rather just have you in Nike. 
Now, I regard next week as the official conclusion of earnings season, thank heaven, so it might be help, helpful to reflect back for a second. Uh, there have been a huge number of beats this quarter, far more than anybody thought there would be. It's one of the best we've seen in ages. Maybe that's because the expectations were ratcheted down too much. Maybe it's because the pandemic has wiped out tons of small competitors, uh, leaving big publicly traded companies as the last men standing. Either way, here's your bottom line. If you find yourself wondering why stocks can keep roaring when we've got an insane number of COVID infections, the answer is simple. To paraphrase James Carville, it's the earnings, stupid. Big business is making a ton of money right now. Frankly, it's not all that complicated. Our Salute to Service Veterans Day tribute continues. Our first question is from Roger in Texas. Roger. Hey, Jimmy Chill, Big Uba Booyah coming at you from Houston, Texas. Just want to say thank you for everything you do for us. I was in the Marine Corps for five years, serving different places and parts of the world, and it was always great having you provide a sense of normalcy in an otherwise abnormal time and place. So thanks for that. Question for you, Jim. It looks like the Democrats are going to control the House and the White House. The Republicans are going to maintain control of the Senate. So what does that mean for us retail investors and that split government? Uh, Is it growth, value, energy, fang, or maybe something else even? All right. Thanks again, Jim. Wow. Thank you for being such a devotee and thank you for your service in the Marine Corps. I think we're going to have to deal with new categories. I don't think growth and value are going to work anymore. I think there are companies that are going to do well in a, uh, a market where we have a, where we need the vaccine. And there's going to be companies that do well in a market where we don't get the vaccine. And we're just going to have to take them case by case. The labels are failing us. And that's something that a lot of people don't understand. The labels are failing us. OK, let's go to Justin in New York. Justin. Booyah, Jim. Thanks for having me on the show. I just want to give a shout-out to Jonathan, Dan, Tyler, David, Simon, Aaron, and Go Eagles. My question, is about, my question is about Gilead. I bought it at 80 at the height of the pandemic because of, rem, because of its drug and remdesivir. Right. Since then, it's pulled back to 50 and is now is on 60. Do you suggest I buy more, sell, or do you think it has the potential to go back to where it was before? I, I remember we don't care where stocks uh, have been from. We care where they're going to. Uh, I think this one's bottoming because of interest rates. But when it gets back to, say, 64 or 5, please sell it and go into something growth. You know what? You can swap it one for one with Bristol-Myers. I think that'll work, that'll work perfectly. Next question is from Matthew at the U.S. Military Academy at West Point. Matthew. Hey, Jim. It's Cadet Matthew Jordan from Massachusetts, and I'm a firstie here at West Point. I'm, in, I'm a part of the investment club, and currently I lead the finance sector. Recently, my team and I have been researching J.P. Morgan. They took a 71% stake in a Chinese security joint venture. Does this put them at a competitive advantage, and are they a buy? Thank you. All right. Thank you for your service, too. And I love the, the academy. Here's my problem with J.P. Morgan. Interest rates are so low, they can't make any money on your money. And that's how I like a bank to make money, uh, because it's riskless and pain free. I think the stock is not a buy. As a matter of fact, I would actually lighten up and own something more like a Goldman Sachs or a Morgan Stanley. Next, we have a question from Harold in Texas. Harold. Hey, Jim, this is Tim from Dallas, Texas. And I served in the United States Army for 32 years. It was a great life being in the military. I'm looking for your advice in decision-making for a great investment to continue that life. What military defense companies would you recommend for this old bull? I need to go from hoorah 
to Booyah. Well, there, I like that transition. Uh, James Takelet runs out uh, with Jim now. Lockheed uh, Martin, LMT is very good. I have to tell you that I am partial to Bill Brown and LHX, which is L3 Harris. Those are the two that I would recommend. I think that they are the right ones for a Biden administration. All right. Remember, it's the earnings. Thank you so much for your questions and for your service. Uh, it, it's reason we're going higher for a number of reasons. But in the end, the companies are doing very, very well. Big business is making lots of money. On Mad Money tonight, I'm sitting down with the Home Depot of weed, Grow Generation, to find out how the company's positioning itself in more states legalized marijuana. Every time they go up for vote, it wins. Then, what could the U.S. election outcome and news of a promising coronavirus vaccine for your money? I'm going off the charts and eyeing the market's fear gauge to find out. It'll help us figure out about the industrials, believe me. And more small businesses are getting back to work. But with stimulus questions still lingering, what does it mean for a company like Bill.com, which has been so red hot? I'm going to talk with the CEO after earnings. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. All right, we didn't get the blue wave that so many polls predicted last week, but we did get a green wave. Four states held referendum on legalizing weed, and weed won all four. Even Mississippi legalized medical marijuana. So how do you play a future where federal decriminalization could be in the cards under President Biden and full-scale legalization seems inevitable, even if it might take some time? I think you want a stock like Grow Generation, a chain of gardening stores that specializes in hydroponic equipment. I've been reliably informed that all this best stuff is hydroponic. Of course, you could use the same gear to grow tomatoes, which is why Grow Generation's business is perfectly legal. But really, it's picks and shovels cannabis play that's expanding all over the country. And that's why I started pounding the table in this one in August when it was at 16. It's now at 25. It was just the logic of it that I liked. Story keeps getting better and better, though, as GrowGen makes acquisitions and reports excellent numbers. On Wednesday, the company delivered a terrific quarter, a big revenue beat with management dramatically raising the forecast for both the full year and 2021. While the stock's already rallied nearly five bucks in the last two days, you know what? It may not be done. Don't take it from me. Let's dig deeper with Darren Lampert. He's the co-founder and CEO of Grow Generation to get a better sense of where his company's headed. Mr. Lampert, welcome back to Mad Money. Thank you, Jim. All right. So first, Darren, I want to ask you just philosophically. It looks like that when marijuana is on the ballot, when cannabis in any form is on, it always seems to win. So isn't it inevitable that our nation's going to embrace it? I certainly think so, Jim. The election was a big victory for the cannabis industry and grow generation. It's invigorating to see cannabis initiatives pass in five states. The green sweep. One third of Americans live in places where cannabis is legal for adults. The beginning of a huge paradigm shift. Grogen is prepared to outfit new operators with everything they need for cultivation. We're excited about Arizona, a strong medical market, potential to become a $2 billion market with the addition of recreational cannabis which is why we entered the state prior to the election. All right. New Jersey, another exciting market, Jim. Well, that's what I want to ask you about. I mean, New Jersey is huge, right? And you also say in your documents, Pennsylvania and New York have to follow. It can't just be New Jersey, correct? It is correct. Jersey is another exciting market. Gateway to the Northeast, 
Scouting locations expect to open doors in New Jersey this spring. We believe the rest of the East Coast will follow suit, legalized very soon. Pennsylvania, your home state, New York, Connecticut, Rhode Island, Jim. Wow. Okay, so you just made a gigantic acquisition November 2nd. Drew Quire, the Grow Biz, uh, it's the third largest chain of hydroponic garden centers. Um, in the end, uh, which is better, just continuing to buy others or doing what you're doing with, with New Jersey, where I imagine you got to do some greenfield uh, building of stores? Jim, we're doing both. We're opening stores and we're opening stores and greenfielding in new markets, Oklahoma. You'll see us in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, New York. You'll see us buying stores in mature, in mature markets, like we're doing with the GrowBest, the nation's third largest hydroponic chain, $50 million annual run rate, four gardening centers across North, Northern California, one in Oregon, 50 talented individuals, Jim, will bring us up to 400 grow pros who know everything there is to know about cultivating cannabis and organic produce. All right, so I go to the website, and you're featuring right now Big Bud Organic. And I got to tell you, I'm a gardener. I mean, I, I would rather buy Grow Generation Organic. I mean, to me, it's private label, but to me, it's the only label. When am I going to see all that throughout the site? Jim, we've been working on private label diligently this year. Currently, 1% to 2% of sales coming out of GrowGen right now, private label. We're targeting 10% next year of private label products coming out of GrowGen. Now, you've got a terrific board, including someone who ran a very important division of Scott's miracle Grow. Are they ever saying to you, you know what, we are so big now, we really got to hire someone from a tractor supply or a Lowe's or a Home Depot because we're worried that we need operators. We've got a great board. Uh, it's time to let some, real, you know, some guys from uh, do-it-yourself run the place. Jim, we have a very talented chief op that just came in, Tony Sullivan, out at you know, classic retail train. Um, we have Bob Nardelli, CEO of, former CEO of Home Depot, on our, on our advisory board. Ross Haley, the former owner of the GrowBiz, former CEO of Orthons, joining our advisory board. So we're, pre- we're pretty set from the, uh, the C-suite, Jim. Now, there's still incremental M&A to go, right? I mean, one of the things that I thought uh, uh, interesting when I go over the quarter, there always seems to be people to buy. I mean, where are these stores? There's more in Oregon to buy? There's more in Washington to buy? Jim, there's, there's 1,500 stores spread out amongst the United States right now. We're targeting about 50 to 100 of those stores, stores in mature states, um, states that have, been, you know, that have been cannabis recreational for some time, and also on the medical side. You know, this, the hydroponic stores have been in existence for hundreds of years. Now, when I look at the, I have to admit, I went to the website. Remember, I am a gardener. There's a lot of things that, I, that are very different from going to a tractor supply or I mean, a filtration thing. I mean, this stuff is very, the stuff is unique to cannabis, correct? I don't think I could grow cannabis without Grow Generation's help. I mean, grow good Jim, cannabis. Jim, you cannot. We control the indoor climate. What our stores does, it sells, it sells everything, Jim, from, from dehumidification to climate control to, to, to benching to lighting. With cannabis, Jim, especially on the medical side of it, you need the same cannabis each and every grow. You need to control the environment to control the crop. 
for oh, consistency love- purposes on the medical side. Yeah, I, I, I've got to tell you, I, I was overwhelmed. Um, the catalog, the website e-commerce is really good, but it shows you you need a professional's help. Thank you so much to Darren Lamper, co-founder and CEO of Grow Generation, GRWG. Great work, sir. Good to have you on the show. Thank you, Jim. Much appreciated. Okay, that's uh, it's a very exciting story. And in order for you to understand why you need it, go to the website. If you understand half the stuff, great. You don't need it. I bet you don't. Stick with Kramer. We spent most of the last nine months living in fear, fear of the virus and fear of stock prices coming down. Even when the market started roaring higher in mid-March, the dread never went away. Even when the Nasdaq cruised to new highs in June, Wall Street was jumpy, frightened that the whole house of cards could come crashing down at any moment. But you know what? Despite new COVID cases spiking to catastrophic levels, the fear is gone, not just because of the vaccine. The fear actually started subsiding before the big news from Pfizer. Don't believe me? Hey, let's go off the charts with the help of Mark Sebastian. He's a brilliant technician who's the founder of OptionPit.com, as well as being my colleague where I blog at RealMoney.com. So you can see what he's talking about. This guy is really good. You know, this, this is a little technical. I should, shouldn't say that because then maybe you don't want to watch, but this will really help you understand what's going on. See, he's our resident expert on the CBOE Volatility Index. That's the VIX for short. It's also known as the fear gauge because it's a great proxy for the level of overall terror in the stock market. In a healthy rally, the VIX is supposed to go down, right? Stocks go up. There's less fear. So uh, when stocks fall, the VIX is supposed to spike. More fear. When that pattern breaks down, it means something's off. And for most of this year, something's been very off. So I want you to take a look at these charts of the S&P 500 and the volatility index going back to July. In the last two weeks of August, so come back with me here, all right, the S&P rocketed higher, and so did the fear gauge, uh, spiking from 22 to 34. That's a huge red flag for Sebastian. You get this kind of action when the S&P is flying based on a narrow rally and a handful of big stocks. Uh, over the summer, it was big tech. Sure enough, the market immediately rolled over in early September. So when this went up, that was the signal of Sebastian that it's a shaky market. Boy, was that ever right. Shouldn't go up when that goes up. So what about the last two weeks? Okay, let's zoom in. This will really help you. This time, when the S&P 500 started roaring the day before the election, well, guess what? The fear gauge did exactly what it was supposed to do. It plunged. That's last week, before we even knew we had a COVID vaccine that was 90% effective. This looks like the kind of healthy behavior we expect when Wall Street's not wetting its pants in a permanent state of terror. However, Sebastian points out that we haven't really seen anything like it since the pandemic got rolling. Even when the market rolled over on Wednesday and Thursday, the VIX barely budged. In short, we stopped being afraid. Maybe it's because we finally got the election over with and ended up with the result that the market's fine with, a new president, maybe more of a free trader, coupled with a gridlock Congress. Either way, we're living in a different world now. That's why things went to an all-time high. For months, many money managers lived in fear as a fairly small number of tech stocks led the market higher, dominated what we talk about. We were confident in the COVID winners, but afraid of the much larger mass of stocks that don't benefit from the pandemic. Now that's been flipped on its head. 
We have a new sense of confidence in the broader stock market, but a more focused sense of fear in the COVID place, which most, almost all acted badly today. For Sebastian, that's the crux of the issue. While the S&P 500 might seem like it's diversified, it's, it's weights by market capitalization, which means Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, Facebook, and Alphabet collectively make up more than 22% of its value. When those stocks were leading us higher earlier this year, we had a fearful rally because it was narrow. Now, though, Sebastian thinks we have a broader group of leaders. We're not dependent on tech and only tech. Hey, by the way, those same five big tech stocks make up 46% of the NASDAQ 100, the index composed of the 100 largest non-financial stocks in the NASDAQ. There's actually a separate volatility index for the NASDAQ 100. It's called the VIXN, the VXN for short. But you can think of it as the tech fear gauge. Right now, it's at 29, while the regular fear gauge is at 23. That's a six-point spread. So take a look at this new pair of charts, okay? This next pair, this is on top of got the S&P 500. Easy, right? On the bottom, it shows the spread between the regular volatility index, or the VIX, and this new index that I'm talking about, the VIXN, the VXN. Normally, Sebastian points out there's usually just a one or two point spread here, okay? You can see this is one or two, all right? The VIX tends to, uh, tends to be higher, but not much higher. However, when the S&P 500 was peaking in August, the spread between the VIX and the VXN expanded to 10. That's the biggest this spread has been since the dot-com bubble burst 20 years ago. So while the averages were higher over the summer, people were terrified of what would happen to tech. Remember? The, mark, the, market, the, the peak of the stay-at-home trade is a market with terrible breath where a handful of mega-cap tech stocks led us higher. Regular viewers know that I actually like a lot of these big tech companies, and I still think some of them are worth owning in a post-vaccine world. I think Apple's terrific because of China. I think Alphabet's great because they rely on a lot of advertising from travel and leisure. But tech is a bad general. They're, they're the stocks that led the way when the rest of the economy is languishing. That doesn't look to be the case anymore. Fortunately, it's, it, fortunately we're in better shape. First, this week, the Dow Jones Industrial Average, the major index with the least exposure to big tech, is up more than 1,100 points. That's more than 4%. NASDAQ 100 is down more than 1%. And even with the weakness in big tech, the S&P 500 has soared. Sure, we're seeing the spread between the volatility index and the VXN expand again. But that's a sign of health. The tech fear gauge is supposed to go higher when the tech stocks go lower. Now the tech stocks have been able to mount sporadic rallies this week because they're COVID winners. And right now COVID is kicking our butts. I mean, over 160,000 new cases yesterday. Mayors and governors are starting to shut things down as hospitals get overwhelmed. Meanwhile, all sorts of beaten down stocks with big China exposure should benefit from smoother relations with the People's Republic under the Biden administration. Put it all together, and Sebastian thinks we're looking at a potentially huge rally at the Dow Jones Industrial Average over the next few months. Huge. This one, no. This is not big. Anywhere as big as what he's thinking. Uh, S&P, though, he thinks it meanders. NASDAQ languishes. Basically, Look at today. Today is a microcosm of what Sebastian's talking about. When will the Nasdaq stop underperforming? Sebastian says he'll consider the stay-at-home trade to be unwound when the spread between the volatility index and the VXN hits 10, like it did over the summer. It's at 6 now, so we're not there yet. And I think it's, he's got a good point. But there are a lot of cross-currents here that can complicate the situation. Uh, we'll also have more days like Wednesday when the Nasdaq roared because the vaccine still may be six months away, although it's not clear from what the president says when we're going to get it and when we're not. One last point. Take a look at the chart of the VIX futures. This shows that right now investors are paying less for the VIX futures in the future. OK, they go further out in the future. That's what's known as backwardation. 
It's a sign that people are less afraid of the future than the present. Not long ago, the curve was going up instead of down, indicating fear and trepidation. Here's the bottom line. The charts, as interpreted by Mark Sebastian, suggest that we've entered a new phase over the past couple of weeks. For the first time in ages, investors have stopped being uh, quite so afraid, which is good news for the Dow and not so good news for the tech-heavy Nasdaq that I talk so much about, assuming the pattern holds up. Look, I hope it does. But if COVID cases keep soaring, let me tell you, businesses will get hurt. And I think tech makes another comeback. So so I'm not necessarily buying all in, but I need you to see this. And I need you. This really, to me, explains what happened this week with the Dow 1100 and the Nasdaq Dam. Let's uh, go saluting our troops. It's not over yet. Our tribute is still going on. Let's take some calls. Let's go to Kenneth in Michigan. Kenneth. Yeah, Jim. Long-time Kramer disciple, first-time caller. I'm a veteran of the United States Air Force. My stock is Dollar General. Jim, I would like your thoughts on what you expect out of their third quarter earnings being reported on December 3rd. Thank you. Okay, so uh, first, thank you for your service. Dollar General is a very tricky stock. I want you to re- wait for the co- annual support. I'm mean, wait for the conference call to be held. Why? Because I think the flash numbers are not going to look that good a- 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 as is they should. But in the conference call, they tend to be able to talk their way into saying, you know what, you shouldn't have sold our stock. So I, I, that's my strategy when it comes to Dollar General. Charlie in Texas. Charlie. Hi, Jim. Long time fan. Thank you for supporting the military. Here's my question. What are your thoughts on tapestry? And the effects of the buying habits of people with another COVID shutdown and the COVID vaccine looming, short term and long term. I got to tell you, I think this the, the, this person who's the new CEO is doing something right there. I was doing some work on it. The the uh, the merchandise is fresh. The appeal is good. I think that there's something going on, and on pullback, I think you got to be there. So this is one of the rare brick and mortars that I'm really warming up to. We're entered a new phase here, people. Investors aren't as afraid as they used to be, which is a good thing for the Dow. But you know what? Not that good for the Nasdaq. Now, much more might have money ahead. 90% of small, medium-sized businesses still use paper checks, including the ones I have, either to get paid or pay people. I'm talking to a CEO hoping to disrupt the industry. He's got 100,000 clients. Don't miss my exclusive with Bill.com. Then this market rally is happening despite the government. I'll explain how stocks can continue to push higher anyway. And oil calls rapid fire tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. A month ago, we ran a segment on what I call the modern red hots, the high-flying software stocks trading at extreme valuations to the point where many of them were making me nervous. Since then, many of these red hots have come down, some dramatically, in part because of the big vaccine news on Monday. It means the rest of the country is going to open. Maybe we don't need these high flyers. The ones that have the best fundamentals are the ones that have been hit. Zoom video, Datadog, Shopify. But tonight I want to circle back to one of the lesser known red hots, a company called Build.com. This is a cloud-based software company that helps small and medium-sized businesses automate complex back-office financial operations. Here's a stock that came public late last year, and I recommended it right out of the gate. It's still in the 30s. Like the other cloud plays, I like Bill.com because it helps its clients save money, which is why it became so attractive in the age of COVID-19. By the time we covered the new Red Hots last month, Bill.com had surged $116, but that's at 40 times sales. And I said, well, that's a little pricey. Maybe a pullback's coming. Well, now I've had the pullback with uh, Bill.com sinking to 95 today, even though the company reported a pretty strong quarter last week. So is it time to pounce at these levels or do we have to have exercise a little more patience? 
Uh, let's check in with Rene Lassert. He is the founder and CEO of Bill.com. You get a better sense of the quarter and his company's prospects. Mr. Lassert, welcome to Mad Money. Hey, thank you, Jim. It's great to be here. I'm excited to meet you and, and get a chance to talk to, to your audience. Thank Absolutely. You. Well, I'm glad you're here. And uh, if you can, I'd like you to explain the value proposition of Bill.com. And the one way maybe to do it best is to talk about that Manhattan soccer club. My son plays soccer in Manhattan, Brooklyn. These are companies that are they are companies. They have a lot of money coming in and out. And I thought that Bill.com provided an incredible service. Well, you know, it, it, there's a massive, massive pain point that every SMB has, and that is paper. Uh, it's a hassle out there. Ninety percent of businesses rely on paper as the primary form of managing it. And so the Manhattan Soccer Club is no different. Like, here's a soccer club with teams all over the city. They've got coaches. They've got players. They've got collections. Coming. They have all sorts of challenges. And if you imagine that you're doing this from the goodness of your heart and you're trying to do it for the sport that you love, and yet you got this hassle to do, like, that's just a pain that nobody wants. Well, that's no different than what every SMB has in this country. And I know that because I grew up amongst a handful of businesses that my parents had and my grandparents had. It was all the time you could see that, hey, cash is king. You got to stretch out the payables and pull in the receivables, and you need tools to do that. Well, paper is just not a tool that is digital, and that's a tool that needs to go away. Well, so now, we focus- well you have 100,000 customers now. So, I mean, there's companies yeah. that are recognizing. I mean, the demand is pretty incredible that you have 100,000 customers. Yeah, and you know what? And we're just getting started. And there's 6 million businesses in the U.S. That, that have employees. And so that's the proxy we use is that these businesses have a pain point. They need to get their problem solved. They need to automate the process. Customers like the Manhattan Soccer Club, they save 50% of the time it takes to manage that back office. 50%. And that's, like you said, money in their pocket. And when you can give people money in their pocket, that's a good day. Okay, so I, my, uh, my wife runs, well, our restaurants are dormant right now because of New York, but my wife runs one of, our, one of our places. She said to me, look, I do Intuit. That's fine. Why do I need Bill.com? Ask them why uh, somebody that owns two restaurants should use Bill.com. That's an awesome question. And so the way we think about it is there are processes that are in the back office. And so recording the data around the transactions you have, that's an important part of your financial picture. But what about processing all those transactions? So the process I had when I started my first company in 1999 was I'd walk around the office with this handful of invoices and checks ready to be signed, looking for people to say, did we get what we wanted from that supplier? Or looking for people to say, did that customer like the product? Should I go invoice them again? Should I try to sell them something else? That process was manual. It was sticky notes. It was paper. And and then there was writing a check and signing a check. And, you know, we eliminated all that. We have two and a half million network members on our platform that get paid through Bill.com, pay and get paid through Bill.com through the 103,000 customers that are on the platform. So the reason to use it is you just want to get rid of that hassle, all that paper, no more filing cabinets. You know, one way that I think about it is you, we take the back office and we put it into the back pocket. You think about your phone, where is it? For me, it's in the back pocket typically. That's what we do. Okay, so uh, we know that there, the pandemic has hurt a lot of small businesses. Uh, there are some companies that were recommended today uh, that were full service restaurants. And the, the recommendation line, this is from Wall Street, was 40 percent of these companies, are, uh, the competitors are going to close. So why not just buy Cheesecake uh, Factory? And I, when I heard that, I said, I got to ask Bill.com whether they're seeing a huge number of small, medium sized businesses close. You know what we've been really excited about for me personally, just because I come from a family of entrepreneurs is that I have seen the resilience that I saw in my parents and my grandparents running their business. I've seen it in every one of our customers. So when COVID hit, the first thing we did is how do we help them? 
Well, we had discounted pricing for customers that were impacted by this. We gave extended hours for companies that were impacted by this. And we actually put money into charities so companies could go get some grants. So what I've seen is that the resilience has happened because we saw a dip, and we talked about this on the quarterly earnings call, we saw a dip in transaction volume, we saw a dip in the money going through our platform, and yet we saw new customers coming in pretty quickly because of the opportunity that they needed to manage that back office. And what we've seen by the next quarter is that the TPV, what, that's the total payment volume, that it had to come back to kind of the pre-pandemic levels almost. And so that's the resilience, and that, that's what I see businesses doing. If, if, if small business is the lifeblood of America, ox, the cash is oxygen for those, life, those right. businesses. I recently did a small business show at CNBC, and someone asked me, well, what's the um, – you, what, what's the biggest reason why you could fail? And I said, the government and your paperwork. It's not your whether you have a good restaurant. It's not, it's not the product. It's not even customer service. It's the government and the paperwork. Does Bill.com help me if an entity of the government comes by and wants to see my books? It definitely does. I mean, we have, if you think about that phrase I just said, the back office and the back pocket. If I was on my phone right now, I've been on the Bill.com platform since essentially, you know, six months into starting the company. So I have 13 years of data on my phone. Every invoice I've ever paid, every payment I've ever made, every invoice I've ever collected on, it's all there. So I can go back and I can find all that. So if you do get audited, you can actually have it all. And what many of our customers do, they involve their accountant and they just give their accountant access rights to be able to go help the auditors get through it. And they get done much faster because of it. Oh, that is such a great idea. I'm so glad you came on. A lot of people make the mistake thinking that they can do it themselves because it'll save money. It doesn't save them money. Thank you so much, Renee Lassert, the CEO of Bill.com. It's great to meet you, sir. Yeah, likewise, Jim. Thank you. Okay. Uh, look, the market's all over the place, obviously. Right now, they like the stocks for an open economy, like the Marriott's, like the restaurants. You know what? We get another spike. They're going to come back to Bill.com. I want you to think about this company. It's a really interesting one. Mad Money's back into the break. It is time! So the light man will tell Raffer is one of the same songs. Bye bye bye. So And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski daddy time for the lightning round question. Let's start with Christian in Georgia. Christian! Yes, sir. How are you? Speak to me. Hey, so what do you think about uh gold? Okay, I think gold. gold's going down here, and that is a terrific opportunity to buy gold. Buy gold, G-O-L-D, or gold. Barrett Gold is fine. Let's go to Wyatt in South Carolina. Wyatt. Booyah, Jim. Booyah. Um, I just want to know how you feel about Las Vegas fans potential COVID recovery play. You know what? Look, I believe that Biden's going to have better relationship with China than Trump did, which means that LBS is going to be fine to own. I do prefer Win to LBS. Let's go. I think Win's really run incredibly well. Let's go to Ryan in California. Ryan. Hey, booyah, Jim. And an even bigger hoo-yah uh, from the mighty Navy and submarine squadron 11. And thank, wow, thank you for serving. What's going on? Hey, I'm interested in including a position of Lockheed Martin in my portfolio. They have great fundamentals and terrific earnings, and it has me really interested. But considering the uh, new direction the government seems to be headed, uh, I wanted to get your take on this stock. I feel, look, I don't really care. The Defense Department does well under either administration. Now, I prefer L3 Harris to Lockheed Martin, but Lockheed Martin has a terrific new CEO, Jim Cakelet, who'll be able to maneuver anything. He did not speak positively about the space division in the last conference call, which is what worries me, but it's a good situation. Andrew in New York. Andrew. Jim, how you doing? I am good, Andrew. How about you? 
Ah, uh, we're living the dream. All right. What are you thinking stock-wise? Yeah, so uh, I want to get your take on Carnival here. You know, it's, uh, it hit quite sell, a bump the day. No, nope. the only one I'm recommending is Norwegian. Uh, Norwegian happens to have enough money to be able to last for a longer time. Not great situations, but I understand bottom fishers want to own them. It's Norwegian to own. Daniel in California. Daniel. Hey, Jim, thanks for having me on. Oh, uh, sure. Quick shout out to everybody I served with at the 12th Fighter Squadron, Elmendorf Air Force Base, Alaska. These guys are unbelievable. Uh, they are yeah. a leader in video API. Their customers include Teladoc, Peloton, and Domino's Pizza. What are your thoughts on Vonage, symbol VG? I've liked Vonage for a long time. It's, it, it, you know, it's only just recently starting to work. I, I recommended this real money about like two years ago, and now it's finally coming to, root, coming to roost. I like your call. How about Brian in Florida? Brian. Booyah, Jen. Booyah, Brian. My question is about Maesterich. Fundamentally, they seem to be recovering well from their COVID lows, with over 80% of their tenants paying rent in Q3. When do you think we could see Maesterich raise their quarterly dividend from $0.15 cents to last okay. year's 75 I, I don't think they would be able to do that. My own take is, is that, look, you have to go Simon or Federal. Uh, you need better quality than that. I know this is the spec one in the group, but it's not for me. And that, ladies and gentlemen, the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Day after day, I get asked the same question. How the heck can stocks just go higher and higher, all-time highs today, during this soul-crushing pandemic? The chaos is so palpable. The case number is so terrifying. I mean, it's doubled in the last 10 days. That you've got to assume it's catastrophic for the economy, right? And if COVID's wrecking the economy, that means there must be something fishy about this roaring stock market. They figure Wall Street's either full of morons or the Federal Reserve is artificially pumping everything up. But what if that's wrong? We've now been living with COVID for more than eight months. And while I expect the new wave to do some serious economic damage, we already know how this plays out. The situation only seems apocalyptic because of the leadership vacuum in Washington. Don't get me wrong, the virus is terrible and we're right to fear it, but big business knows how to cope. When you speak to Jim Farley, the new CEO of Ford, or the CEOs of the two Cisco's, Kevin Hurricane from the food service Cisco, SYY, and Chuck Robbins from the tech Cisco, like I did this morning, well, they've put in a ton of work to ensure their workers stay safe. It's their top priority. Why? Well, because these companies, are, they know they'll lose a lot of money if they have to close. Ford shut down several plants when workers tested positive this spring. It was very costly. Look, maybe these CEOs are trying to keep their employees safe because it's the right thing to do. I like to think that's the case. They probably do have good intentions, but they also have financial incentives as well. Yep, they want to make money, not lose money, which means they need to take the virus seriously, even if they don't have good intentions. As a result, big business has been far more organized in its response to COVID than the federal government especially the agencies that are supposedly responsible for worker safety, like the toothless OSHA. Now, I keep an eye on my Twitter feed, and I've noticed that whenever I even say teeny insane bad word about the president, I'm greeted with people who swear they'll never watch me again. I try to be even-handed. You know that, who are long-time watchers. But what am I supposed to say about the COVID situation? There's a raging pandemic, and the president seems to do nothing but tweet about the election Back in March and April, he was holding regular press briefings to keep the American people in the loop. And we have more infections now than we did back then. See, it's this 
ill-advised behavior from the White House that magnifies the gulf between the government and big business. The CEOs don't have the luxury of pretending the pandemic doesn't exist. If they did, they get fired, which I guess is what happened to Trump last week. They want to keep their jobs. Uh, so CEOs have a plan. Washington has no plan. But you know what? It's not just the White House. Our government has failed on every level. For example, California hasn't let Disneyland reopen since March, even though Disney knows how to prevent the spread. They haven't had any outbreaks at Disney World in Florida because they spent a fortune making the park safe, and they've operated at massively reduced capacity. It's mostly outdoors. should be fine. California let the bars open before they let Disneyland reopen. That's insane. Of course, once again, small, medium-sized businesses are so strapped for cash, they struggle to stay in business. They don't have the resources to adapt to the pandemic the way big business can, the publicly traded companies. When the book is written on this era, I think we'll realize that business, not government, but business is the greatest force for change in this country, which, can be, which shows me that we always just remember who we're dealing with. The government can be slow. It can be unreliable. But when corporate America wants to get something done for good or ill, they can make it happen. And that's a major reason why the stock market's been able to roar in spite of the pandemic, even as the government keeps dropping the darn ball. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you Monday. The news with Shepard Smith starts now.